There are certain courtesies that locksmiths should have with their customers, like cleaning up after themselves. But there are also a number of courtesies that customers should have with their locksmiths, like answering the phone. Jeff Moss, Hansomton Coleman, and myself, Tyler J. Thomas, will discuss, piss, and moan about all aspects to these points. And yes, we all make keys. This is The Three Tumblers. When any of us call to have a service person come to fix something in our house, such as plumbing or an air conditioner, we expect them to be polite and get the job done. But what do they expect from us as customers in return? There's, well, I got a lot of points here, but the, the, the first one, I guess, starting off with is, is parking. Um, Residential is not always a problem unless you're deep in a city. Uh, commercials generally pretty good except um you know hectic places with small loading docks that are always filled stuff like that um you know it, it goes a long way if if parking is not going to be convenient the com- the customer commercial residential should at least give you the heads up uh J- jeff i know you're not out in the, a service vehicle a lot but do you ever hear sort of these nitpicks from your techs when they come in talking about uh it was bitch finding parking or something like that Oh, yeah. All the time. Um, One, you know, going downtown, parking truck zones, having to pay for parking with quarters, um, loading dock access, you know, places having weird rules and hours you can get in. Condominiums only want work done within certain time because heaven forbid somebody should see somebody with a with a pair of tools. (laughs) So. Yes, I hear about it all the time. That's a good point. Something I forgot. Um, paying to park, especially when you have to park on a street. Tim, do do they have that up there where you are? Um, the reason I asked because in Atlanta it's all gone cashless, so every parking kiosk uh, has. Well, you can only take it with a debit or credit card, which I love. But do y'all have that? Yeah, in uh, Uptown Charlotte, we've got a lot of that actually, and that's why we all on the road have a uh, company credit card that we can use. And yes, we add that to the invoice. I mean, we, we charge for that because if, you know, if I got to spend $7 to park, then I'm not spending $7 to park and, and go off and have fun. I'm, I'm spending it to be there for you. Do you itemize that on the invoice or you just like add it to labor? No, we itemize it. We, we actually have a line item for that. Yeah, I mean it 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 isn't an everyday thing, but um it does happen. My gripe is more people parking in the fire lane in front of our shop where it clearly says no parking. But that's for a different set subject and different um section. Yeah, we get uh Jeff, I know you know and I think Tim knows as well, but our service vehicle is a Mini Cooper, Mini Cooper Club and and uh, as much as we get harped on for it, it can navigate any parking deck, any loading dock, anywhere. I mean, it's a compact. So the height clearances, all that stuff, as far as Jeff said, you know, people mistaking it for a service vehicle, they don't want anybody there. Well, to them, it just looks like any other vehicle. So, uh, yeah, it's tiny, but it does have its uh, its perks. So you can't haul an eight-foot ladder in that service vehicle? I haven't, I haven't tried, but it does have a roof rack. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll... I'd be worried if we needed an eight foot ladder, something's gone wrong. 
Well, I mean, I'll also say as far as parking goes, uh, we like our shop is located around a couple small towns and parking for residential is quite honestly, it's a bitch. And uh, there are some streets where you have to park on the street. And I've had to walk like, I don't know, like almost a block and a half, two blocks down to get to the service location. So, you know, let us know ahead of time. Like when you call, say, hey, you're going to have to park probably a block and a half away uh, to get here. You know, something like that. Or, or if the driveway is hidden, because there's a lot of hidden driveways because of how close the houses are, uh, let us know where your driveway is. Yeah, it, and it, ac- actual decent directions to get there is always helpful. Yeah, yeah, especially in an oddball, like a new subdivision that maybe is not on Google Maps or something like that. Yeah. Well, speaking of space, let's migrate from parking to workspace. There's, I guess, two ways you can go about this. Obviously, residential and commercial. With residential, you uh, you want an open work area. You don't want to go into like a hoarder's house and be bending and twisting and fighting over stuff just to pull a lock off a door. In commercial, you don't run into it often, but sometimes you do. And again, it's just the expectation as the service provider that you need area and room to work. Uh, Tim, you do a lot of residential more than both of us. Have you ever run into a situation where you just dreaded doing the work or you just flat out told them, Hey, this isn't acceptable. I can't work like this. I mean, actually I, I get away with doing more commercial than I do residential, but yes, I have been on those residential jobs where it's like, Hey, we need everything rekeyed. Um, or one that I can remember is, you know, a few months after I first started and there was a detached garage from the house and it was all overgrown. And one of the doors had like some sort of bush or tree or whatever grown right up against it. And I was in there with spiders and everything else. And I came out of that job saying, you know, look, next time I see that uh, you're going to have to prune the bushes before I get in there. But yeah, I mean, you just have to uh, look at the situation and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, if you ever encountered anything like that? Not really, just, um, you know, there's a few hoarder houses that have been put on the do not ever service list. Well, what about when they, uh, has somebody ever brought in a car that was just filled so much with garbage and trash and it's like, I don't want to touch this. Thankfully, no. I mean, I've seen them pictures and stuff but no because people are have a little bit of sense i I think i know what you're talking about i've seen a few on the facebook groups and it's like i made a key to this car and it's just everything but yeah i mean the one for me that hey i go to plug the obd connector in and there's a gun sitting on the floor you know that i don't like um for various reasons but the car is really gross and there's like needles or shit sitting there. I would not go in, you know, I would say, Hey, you got to clean your car out. But luckily that has not happened. I'll, I'll give you all a uh, little cop secret. If I see a car that's piled with trash and everything else, you know, like up to the windowsills, um, I'm not going to search it. I never did. You've said that before. Yeah. And I'll say it again. <laughs> <laughs> 
And the same is true with uh, logsmithing. Of course, I don't do automotive, but yeah. I was going to say, that's a good point. I mean, we're talking about tangible stuff in the way, but what about areas or workspaces that are just disgusting? You know, it doesn't, doesn't have to be a car. I mean, I've, we've seen houses and businesses, you know, vacants, you know, hadn't been worked on in forever. Mildew smell, mold all over the walls, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's easy for me in the shop to say just refuse and leave because that's what I would do. Um, call the boss and say, hey, this isn't safe for me to work on. I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had to go into an abandoned one? Um, a couple, but they've they've not been bad actually um as long as i've got room to work and there's not like needles or used condoms or shit laying around on the floor then i'm okay with it um that might be just due to my professional background but yeah i mean it's like okay whatever yeah i can't recall ever being so well i've recalled being weirded out and grossed out but not to the point where it's like i'm not touching this all right, so we've talked about parking space. We've talked about workspace. Let's talk about personal space. So you want, well, number one, when you're there on site, you want the customer to remain on site with you. You don't want them to to meet you on the site and then, uh, okay, well, I'm going to go run some errands. I'll be back in 20, 30 minutes. I mean, that's just a huge liability issue. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want them hovering over your shoulder I mean, I don't mind it if they're just standing nearby talking to me, but it, you know, when you get involved with uh, drilling, uh, I remember one time I had to tell a customer to back off a little bit when we were uh, uh, mortising a door from scratch, just because, you know, the, <laughs> you fuck that up, you fuck the door up, it's it's over. And uh, you got chips and everything where the, the tool itself is already big enough. Tim, you ever encountered somebody where you just had to say, you know, hey, uh, give me some space here. I mean, this isn't. This, this isn't a joke right now. I, I got to be focused on this and, you know, couldn't be unsafe to you. Uh, with doing some work, sort of, but more so doing quotes. Uh, whenever I, I, okay, I remember a, uh, a commercial customer asked me to come out and do a quote for a few repairs on his building. And every time I would go up and try to touch the door to, see what was going on with it he would give me about two seconds to touch it and then he would get in there and just push the door and shake it and rattle stuff and i'm like look i need to see it and he's like yeah you can see it and then i would try again and he would just grab it mid clothes or whatever and just shake it and pull stuff and yank on stuff and i'm like look i can't give you a quote you know you're you're just all up in my shit and i can't tell what's going on with the damn door so no i'm not giving you a quote but as far as like residential stuff you kind of have to you kind of have to have that asshole edge sometimes to where even if you're a personable person you have to give off that air of assholeness uh <laughs> just to get the customer to back up a little bit and give you some space you know let let me work and sometimes you can do that like without saying anything you can just literally not say anything and they'll kind of shut up and and walk off a little bit but not not so much other than uh quoting for stuff we had a guy when i, I worked at a hard a different hardware store and all the screen and window repair there was just a bench in the back of the store and some customer you know walks up 
and he's got like a propane torch in his face practically because the guy's working on a wood window and the torch is sitting there. The customer's not paying attention. He just walks up and starts, you know, talking to the guy while he's working and he could have gotten his face burned off. Like you got to pay attention to what's going on around you. Does it bother either of y'all, especially, uh, I mean, this applies to you too, Jeff, uh, but Tim, for example, when you're picking open a, you know, lockout, something like that, or Jeff, when you're doing work on a vehicle, does it bother you when somebody's right there, you know, with you, maybe not interfering or close enough, but just watching you, does it bother you at all? Sometimes it does. Um, I, I mean, it seems like locks always pick open easier when there's nobody watching but you know i think it's more difficult when you encounter a lock that is not picking for you you know that should pick for you like a schlage or a quick set or whatever and you should have it open fairly quickly and they're standing there watching you and it just kind of makes you cringe whenever you're you're picking a quick set or trying to pick a quick set and they say man that must be a really, really good lock. It's taken you forever to get in there. And you're like, you know, no. Fuck or, you. They, or they say, uh, it's, it's not like in the movies, huh? Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Jeff? I would. I mean, that's normally why we have people wait in the shop. Just it's easier. If some, you know, with rekeys and stuff, uh, try to always have people leave it. You know, the one person that wants to wait, it always comes back to bite you. And I'm often reminded of that as I'm rushing to try to get something done and 27 other things happen. It's like people aren't that important that they can't just leave it. And that's it. If they don't want to do it, then if they can't leave it, then I don't know. I guess you got to go somewhere else and there ain't really anywhere else to go. You know, yeah, the guy at uh, Scotty at our shop that um, we were worked at the previous company together and he was a service technician as well on the road. And uh, he absolutely hated it. I guess still does. He, he he just needed his space. I'll come get you when it's open. I'm not going to swing the door when it's unlocked. I'll get you. We'll go in together. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, you, you got to go away. Any final points? Agreed. Gentlemen? It's kind of the same thought, like when somebody brings in some sort of locking container. And I know we're going to talk about this in future episodes, but you that's something that you just take away from the view of the customer, not just to protect techniques and methods of opening but when you like jeff said when you run into the 47 different things that can go wrong they will all go wrong when you're trying to do it in the view of a customer yeah it's it's kind of it, you gotta you gotta balance it out because at the same time you don't want to be accused of opening the door and looking in there before or without them there but at the same time you don't you don't necessarily want them you know staring at you while we might tell you to shoo away on a job we really would like you to stick around for Tim and how he thinks the job starts before the job even starts. Conversation is the key, pun intended, to our everyday lives. From reading the menu before ordering at the drive-thru, one of my pet peeves, to expressing what our end goals are, we have to talk with each other. When you, a customer, calls me, a locksmith, there are things you want to know and things I need to know. Also, there are things I expect from you on the day that I made time to solve your problem. 
you know, if you're a customer and you call for service, you should be you should expect to be asked questions about what's wrong. Maybe try some things out. Some simple diagnostics over the phone can help you out. And you shouldn't really get pissed off over that. You know, a lot of what we do starts over the telephone. And in a future episode, we will be covering this uh, as far as dispatching. But for the purposes of this episode, customers need to know that you will be asked questions. We don't just say, hey, okay, we'll be there tomorrow at three or next week at nine or whatever. Tyler, you're kind of unique as is compared to Jeff and I. When you have a brand new customer call you and ask you for services, what are some of the things that you ask and expect to be able to know out of that customer? Uh, well, I'll give you a good example. Uh, actually happened today. A uh, potential customer from the Middle East sent me some messages asking for some me to source some locks. And, you know, I just, you know, asked, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, it was Medico related. And they were referred to me for Medico. And, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? What do you exactly need done? Because ultimately, in this example, it's, it's number one, am I even able to help you? Are these keyways I have access to? Are they keyways I should be touching? Things like that. So, yeah, I'm unique in the sense that uh, am I even able to touch these things? Am I going to get run afoul with Medico or, or you know, sergeant with a degree system or Schlage with an Ever system, something like that. So, yeah. And, and most of the time they're pretty receptive to that, especially when I explain it to them. And oftentimes, thankfully to the efforts of Jeff and I and stuff we're working on behind the scenes, you know, I don't have the answer or I don't have the solution and I can't service it, but I can send them to somebody who does. And they're, they're very receptive to that. Very thankful. Yeah. We kind of do the same thing. You know, if we get a, uh, customer that comes in with a Medico key or a multi-lock key, and it's not one of ours, you know, we can say, hey, look at this number, call these people up and, you know, go to them. Jeff, uh, how about you? Like, you're in the shop a lot more than than I'm in our shop. What kind, what information do you expect customers to be willing to provide you with? I mean, obviously, Knowing what the problem is, you know, what very, I mean, even, you know, what color is the lock, you know, which way does the door swing? Um, what key is supposed to work? I mean, anything, just basic stuff. A lot of times people just, it doesn't work. Well, what doesn't work? I don't know. Come figure it out. Yeah, we, we get some of that too. Uh, but having customers text us pictures or email us pictures really, really does kind of help. I uh, I can't yeah, wait for, for that sure, for sure. But I can't there's wait. some people that can barely even operate a phone, and it's like you need to come back with pictures. I'm not going to guess. I, yep. I can't I can't wait for the dispatch episode because I did that solely for like two years, and I'm hearing what you guys are saying, and it's just reminding me of the tips and tricks I used to use to to get the information out of people, but make them feel like being very helpful with it. Too, so you got to make it feel like you're not harassing them or just beating a dead horse. You got to feel like Oh, I appreciate that. That really tells me what I need to know. And they're like, okay, well, there's this and that and the other. And you're like, great. I needed to know that too. Well, when a customer says, you know, when you ask, 
you know, what kind of locks do you have? Or or does your current key go to, into every single lock? And they say yes. And you say, are there any numbers or markings or letters on your key? And they say, yeah, there's a 68 on there. You don't think, oh, <laughs> you know, you owe me one. Um, no, you think that's <laughs> the easy keys, you know, SC1 blank. Um, so, yeah, I mean, some of that stuff. And yes, we will definitely have fun with the dispatch episode because, you know, I I did that for a decade total as a full-time career, not locksmithing dispatch. But uh, so the next thing that I kind of want to talk about is something that happened several times to me this past week. When you're on your way to a customer, did either of you guys, Tyler, when, when you were working on the road and, and Jeff, you know, I know you're in the shop most of the time, but either of you guys, when you have an appointment and you have to go to somebody, do you always call before you actually get on the way? I would say yes. 99% of the time. Like for residential, we do 100% of the time commercial. We do maybe about 50% of the time or personally, I do about 50% of the time. Uh, Tyler, if you call a customer because you're on the way or getting ready to be on the way and they've called your shop a few times and it's the shop number that shows up when you call them, do you expect them to answer? With this company, no, because it's commercial properties and there's multiple people that we know there, property managers, chief engineers, security in some examples. At the previous company I worked for, one of the previous companies, yeah, it was required for residential. And we told them, you know, hey, 30 minutes before we're to show up, we will give you a courtesy call to let you know that we're on the way. If you do not pick up, Within that 30 minutes or if 30 minutes elapses and we don't hear back from you, we're moving on to the next appointment because we've got to have somebody there. Obviously, you can't just show up and, you know, oh, I'm locked out or, oh, I want my house rekeyed. Yeah, but you got to be there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's kind of what we were talking about earlier, uh, Tyler, in your block is, you know, we want the customer to be there and you can't just go off and run errands. And I've told customers that before. You know, like, look, you you need to stay here while I'm doing this work. Um, also, you need to be here. And I had a, a, a job scheduled earlier this week, and it was about 20 minutes northeast of Bumfucked in North Carolina. And I showed you guys a, a, a picture of the map where that job was. I won't say exactly where it was in North Carolina, but uh Anyway, it was like an hour from the shop and I called that customer about 15, 20 minutes before I was getting ready to leave and they never answered. I called again like 10 minutes later. They never answered. I also texted both times. And then the third time I called, which was 10 minutes after I planned on leaving, the uh, voicemail box was full could not accept any messages. And I texted again, two and a half hours later, that customer texted back and said, yes, I'm here. And I said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to reschedule you. And they were rather pissy about it. And I said, look, you know, plans change at a moment's notice. 
even if you confirmed yesterday, shit can happen today. I didn't say shit in the text message, just by the way. Uh, but, you know, yeah. stuff can I should have uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, but, yeah, you know, stuff changes. And so as a customer, you should listen. You know, you should be active. You should expect and you should respond. Yeah. Jeff, any thoughts? No, agreed. It happens all the time. And then they call back or they leave a Google review. They never called me back or they never called me to schedule service. Like what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we get that, that customer I was talking about actually was an Angie's list customer, which is the only advertising ish that we pay for. And so we have the entire trail of, you know, the audit log of phone calls and text messages and everything to to fight back if that person leaves a negative review but i guess to wrap it all up you know customers yes we we need to do things for our customers but also our customers need to do things for us so if that's anything from answering simple questions all the way to just answering a phone call and being there while we're doing the work don't treat us like you know, we're, we're just somebody you can leave us with. No, that that's not me. Right. And then you don't have to chase them. Down. If they leave, you got to chase somebody down to get paid or sign an invoice. I mean, it's just. Annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, it, the liability issue alone yeah. is a huge one. If somebody leaves me at their house all by myself and say their dog gets out through the back door or they can't find something after I've been there, then they're going to turn around and say, oh, well, you were there while I wasn't there. Bish, no, huh? I told you to stay there and I told you I wasn't going to do any work. And at that point, I started yeah. billing by the hour. No, for sure. <laughs> Are there any locksmiths that we know of that wear body cameras? Because I think that might be the next step one day. Yeah, your buddy, I'm sure, with his tactical vest. I have to ask them. I, I think that might be a, a worthy. I know a lot of them do dash cams for liability reasons. Yeah, I'll I'll ask him. Anyway, I'm just thinking out loud. Well, no, our our trucks have uh, front and rear view cameras that record constantly in a loop. I've thought about the whole body camera thing, but with our work shirts, it it really wouldn't be. I don't know. It'd be kind of uh, conspicuous. Everything but... in our shop is audio and video recorded. I mean, there's two stickers that say, you know, audio recording in use. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, everything in our shop is, but as far as in the field and, and going into people's houses or businesses, you know, I think that's. Uh, they might not be happy with it now that I think about it. They might not be, which is why I would want it to be very discreet. I'm not going to share it, but I don't want you to know that, you know, I'm recording. I I kind of want my backup. Which is technically legal in one-party states. Yep, like ours. And ours. All right. He can explain it to you, but he can't understand it for you. Jeff's up next with Shop Etiquette.
Are you the kind of customer who takes five steps inside the grocery store and then starts asking employees if they sell lettuce there? Anyone who has worked retail knows those people, and we really like to call them dipshits to their face. But should we do that as locksmiths? So the answer would be no, we are professionals. But every real locksmith can make keys, but not every key. So we have a lot of blanks. We don't have every blank. A professional can modify a blank to fit a lock, such as um, there are motorcycle blanks that work weird imported key switches. You know, the guy at the hardware store is not going to take the time to file it and make it fit and, uh, you know, spend 20 minutes tracking down the right part and, you know, calling suppliers and stuff like that. You know, there are keys that come in all the time from other locksmiths that we don't have the blanks for. Are they no longer patented? And could you probably find a blank on the gray market or whatever to do that? Probably, but is it worth it? No. You know, we're supposed to be professionals. We have ethics. Uh, I mean, we will copy a unpatented, unrestricted key that says do not duplicate, but there's no there's no teeth to that. So I, you know, personally I don't see an issue. You're not skirting the patent or anything like that. There's no agreement. It's just stamped on the key. So there's really nothing preventing you from, from doing that. What, what do you guys think? I know you don't, Tyler, you're lucky. You don't really deal with customers in the shop and Tim, you do sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess what, what I'm taking from this point is, um, you know, if, if a customer brings in something that is obviously restricted, like, you know, a multi-log 206 keyway. That's pretty common, right? But multi-log should be restricted. You have signature cards, etc. So I'm going to explain that to the customer. Also, there are keys from certain overseas import locks, especially like we see a lot of uh, cheap cash box keys and stuff like that and they'll bring us a key blank and we we might have a few things that are close to it but not quite it and you know if the customer asks why we can't make it i'm like you know i i explain to our customers i say look we can't make this is an overseas import we don't have blanks for it uh, you can try here, here, and here and give them a few referrals and maybe they can get something done, but I'm not going to spend the time and effort to try to get a specialized blank just so I can copy their key. Or how about when they bring you a blank and it's obviously a steel blank and you're like, no, I'm not touching this. And they're like, well, why? They say it works. And you're like, no, nah, I'm not wrecking my cutting wheel for it. Yeah, I yeah, agreed. Yeah, I've done that a few times and had people get pissed off at me. And I tell them when they bring in a customer supplied blank, I say, look, I'll cut it as long as the magnet doesn't stick to it. And I take my magnet and the damn key jumps like, you know, 30 yards across the shop to stick to it. And I'm like, yep, nope, you're not getting this blank cut here. It's funny you say it because some of the Silka blanks that we get are steel. So we just cut them really slow and we don't have a problem. But if it's some car key that was like a high security GM and it was magnetic, we wouldn't cut that. That would kill the, the high security cutter. Uh, I bet I bet that sounds like hell when you cut a steel blank. I'm sure. I don't even know if they make them. But 
cutting like a stainless steel Schlage L or something like that. You just got to go really slow. The only like steel blanks that I will cut are actually the 1137 ace keys because our cutters designed for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's, yeah, it's like a it's just an end mill drill bit, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I think that's safe. So at what point do you get extremely direct with, with the customer? Should you actually tell them to fuck off? Well, if you don't own the business, I would say no. Um because you are a representative of somebody else and you shouldn't do that. There have been times, you know, people come in, they never get off their cell phone. They're talking to somebody else where they're trying to deal with you. They're just downright rude. They want to argue about price. I'll go get my boss or something, somebody else and have them deal with it. You know, I've told people off and gotten sort of chastised for it. And I get it because, you know, it, whatever the case is you got to be the professional be the adult we've been around for a long time and i you know we have a reputation that we should be a good business i mean there are some customers that you don't want to deal with or you can't help them and you have to politely you know tell them it's something you can't do um you know the people where everybody's breaking in and this that. say look call get an alarm call the police you know it's not something that we're equipped to deal with and that usually satisfies them. So it, it just, it you know, it, uh, it depends on the situation, how you handle it. But I don't think that it, as an employee, you should be doing that. If you own the business, you can do whatever the hell you want. What do you think? My boss actually uh, comes and gets me sometimes when he doesn't want to deal with the customer and he's getting ready to tell him to fuck off. Um, just because I have the patience of an oak tree. And uh, he he will have me, you know, call customers that are demanding and impatient uh, or customers that are up front that he just doesn't want to deal with. And I have a very nice way of telling people where to go and what to do once they get there. But, you know, that comes from, again, my professional background, Um, you know, and I think at some point you should be able to professionally tell somebody, no, we're not doing this for you. We can't do it for you. And this is why. If you give people a reason why, even if it's completely bullshit, as long as you give them a reason, that most people will accept that. Yeah, I've, I've never told a customer to fuck off, but I've told previous bosses to fuck off. Yeah. I mean, we have, uh, we fired customers. I don't say we, but my boss, they've, they've certainly told people that their business was no longer desired. I, I've done that twice this year, but I've been like, matter of fact, respectful, professional about it and saying, here's the reasons why. Um, sent them their key records, sent them all their inventory we had on hand and said, you know, just this isn't feasible for us anymore. We wish you luck. And, and you know what one one of them acting appalled all by it a, initially but what it was is that they were new to the position or the property they weren't aware of what had happened prior so you send them a record of correspondence written mail certified mail email stuff like that and you're just like hey uh we've been warning you about this for years you haven't heeded our warning we're going to cut ties with you and just this isn't how we operate a business and we don't want to do it anymore well basically they didn't acquiesce to your nuances 
they did not. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is sometimes satisfying to tell them, you know, hey, fuck off. But in a very polite way. What is it? Uh, Churchill said uh, tact is telling somebody to go to hell and have them look forward to the journey. It, yes. It, it's like that. Yeah. yeah and, then, I mean, and then and then they eventually they'll come back you know, with their tail between their legs and be on their best behavior because, you know, they need something. So we have a couple customers that are commercial customers like that, that we have tried to get them to fire us and without success, um, we just keep pleasing everybody. Uh, but, you know, at some point you do have to have a conversation and sit down with the customer and say, look, this is what I need from you. And in order for me to give you what you want from me. And I think as long as we communicate that and say, look, this is why, then, you know, we should work out. And you know what? In the end of it, there's more work out there. There's too much work out there. Yeah, I would agree. Well, why do we talk about customer bullshit on our days off? I want to talk about something else. next. Tyler, get the spare parts. I agree with Jeff. It's time to talk about something else. Tim, give us a spare part. So my dirty little secret in life is that I enjoy watching Britain's Got Talent, and I'm excited that there's a new season beginning, and it's really difficult for us to uh, watch Britain's Got Talent here in the U.S., but I'm looking forward to doing that later. So that's my spare part. Hefe? I'm meeting Al Borland in two weeks. The, the real Al Borland. Richard Karn is coming to Ohio. It's about 45 minutes away from me at a place called Hartville Hardware. They're doing a meet and greet. My buddy and I are going. It also happens to be his 40th birthday, and he's probably a bigger tool aficionado than I am. He's older than 40. No, it's my friend's 40th birthday. Uh, gotcha. Do you plan on getting a picture with Al Borland? Yes. Oh, I'd like to see that. You could put that on the Twitter. I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> no, no, no. My name's Tyler. Tim's over there. <laughs> I, I don't have a spare part either, other than the, the weather's getting beautiful. It's getting outdoor season time, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because this has been the second wettest winter on record in Georgia, and it's been miserable because every other day it's rained. Poor Tyler. I know. As always, if you have any hate mail or love letters for us, write them on the back of a $20 bill and email it to the3tumblerspod at gmail.com or tag us on Twitter at the number three tumblerspod. I'm the executive producer, Tyler J. Thomas. Technical producer is Jeff Moss. Soon to meet Al Borland. Writer and editor is Tim Coleman. Our customer care representative is Haywood Jabuzoff. Our director of country music is Stan Byerman. And our chief legal counsel is Hugh Lewis Dewey of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, otherwise known to victims of minor accidents everywhere as Huey Louie Dewey. Need a nap. Britain's got talent. Need a beer.
This has been a Three Tumblers production, Season 1, Copyright 2023, All Rights Reserved. Find this episode and others wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, would you buzz off? <laughs> <laughs>